Tonight we're going to go through almost all of John 20. Next week, um, my hope is we will finish John pretty much all together. We might, we'll, we'll see. But we're going to go one more week after that. So we're going to meet, uh, so we're meeting today. And then we're going to meet on the 3rd of October. And then the 10th of October. And then on the 17th, I am going to treat you guys to a dinner here um, in the Fellowship Hall as sort of a way to celebrate all of us going through John. Um, as I said in my email, if you send my email, I don't care whether you just joined us or not. Um, it's, for, it's for everybody. It's for all of us. It's both a way. I try to do this when we end a book, a way to just sort of celebrate, a way to gather around food. Um, and fellowship, and also is both saying, yes, we're coming to the, we, we finished a book, but we're going to start a new one, all right? And I think most of you have heard we're going to do Romans next. Um, I've already ordered the journals, um, Andrew, the CSD journals. <laughs> um, but we're going to use a different version of this time um, as we go through a similar type of thing. A different but, version? A different version, not the ESV. Christian Standard Bible, which is like the newer. It's a CSB is, um, it's, it's sort of in a way, I guess, hard to categorize it, but it's it's in between the ESV and the NIV in a sense. But they are more true to the text um, in how they're translating. So it's just a good translation. I mean, I always recommend everybody to do multiple translations. Um, but it's one I've been using for a while. It's one that's got some scholar, solid scholarship and translation stuff behind it. So it's going to be, it's getting more popular. Um, we're actually toying around with, um, actually using it for replacing the ESV at our church and using the CSV. So, um, Jeff and I are starting to do that. We started last Sunday actually using the CSV. Um, so anyway, with that is on the 17th then, we have, we're going to have dinner here, and then we're going to take off the 24th and the 31st, and we're going to start on November 7th with Romans, all right? So we're going to take a couple weeks off, and then start the very beginning of November with Romans. So I'm really excited about going to Romans. I've never really taught through Romans before, so it's going to be, and, and that will be the book that we will be in when Jesus comes again. So... There's my prophecy. <laughs> wow. Wow. Did you guys get We'll see where that happens. I say that with everybody. going to wait that long? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see we got some time. Uh, question I do have is, so with dinner, having dinner, does it, do we want to do 7 o'clock or do we want to try to do earlier? Like at six o'clock. Is there, are there people who cannot come if I did six o'clock? For dinner. The seventeenth. The seventeenth. Is it's there good, anybody? I think it's good to have a six because most of us are eating dinner before we come here. I know that's what I'm thinking. So that's why I was thinking six o'clock. How's sound for everybody? Good. Going once, going twice. Okay. So we'll do that, and we'll do it in the fellowship hall, um, and I'll give you more information as we as we come along. Um, with this. All right. Any other questions as far as timing? Is Kenny's band going to do an hour concert? <laughs> yeah. 
I couldn't afford it. <laughs> I can just afford the food. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and open up to John. And John 20. So, last week we ended on the night, we ended 19 with Jesus being crucified. And today we're going to look at the resurrection. Uh, it's probably the two, two of the most important events in two weeks that we're looking at, both the, the cross and the resurrection. So I want to read from the um, John 20, verse 1, and read until 1 through 23. Uh, yeah, 1 through 23. All right. Um, who wants to volunteer to read ESV, <laughs> this version? Any, think any readers to read verses 1 through 23? And as we do it again, I just want you to sort of... We, we talked last time, you know, what are you seeing in the cross and the crucifixion that you haven't seen before, maybe sort of look for the same types of things or anything that jumps out to you in the resurrection here. Because again, what's neat is that John is giving us a different perspective than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So that's what's sort of neat about what John here is. We hit these narratives that are so important. It's nice because John's coming at it and saying, hey, I've got, I've got my own personal view of being there and seeing that the things that the other Gospels did not see. All right. Who wants to read? Wow, look at all these people. I can read. All right. You go, John. Okay. So, so uh, the resurrection. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must have rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped, to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not want to know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. 
Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he said these things to her. Jesus appears to the disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The Finish? word of the Lord. Yeah. Nope, that's perfect. Okay. Amen. Thank you. Good reading. Thank you, Chad. All right, well, we've all heard the resurrection story many times. Is there anything that jumps out to you that you go, hmm, I've never seen that before? Why didn't she recognize him? That's my question. I mean, he must have been... The shadow someplace? Yeah, uh, he must have been transformed somehow in his image. Who else did not recognize him? Not in this story. Almost every time he appears, they don't recognize him. first. Yeah. You remember the Maus Road story? And the end of Luke? Same thing. They don't recognize him. Simon Peter on the water, too, isn't it? In fact, every every time they don't recognize him at first. So what's the explanation? Why why do you not not recognize him? Anybody have any? I actually have a... I, I just thought of this, but... When you think someone is dead, and you have, this is, this, they're like, can't, they can't, they were never told he's coming back. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking someone's dead, you're not even thinking for a moment that that person could be the guy walking, you know, this way. If you would have, if, if he's alive, I could probably pick you out, you know. It's out of context, right? Right. Well, I'm just saying that their, their, their minds are so set that he's, he's gone. If I were to see you walking probably 100 yards away, I could probably, just your gestures and whatever, I could probably make out that that was you, because I know you're not dead, and I would probably, you know, s- you know start rationalizing and start thinking, oh, that's that's Greg. It's funny how they didn't recognize his voice, which seems like, you know, that's a, a pretty big trigger to, to, you know, recognizing somebody. But I think it's just in the sense that everybody, it's just, it's an absolute death that they saw, so their minds are almost kind of thinking that, you know, they're not they're not trying to rationalize that that's maybe somebody they recognize, because, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. My, my thought is, is that this is six days since he was arrested, beaten really badly the first mm-hmm. night. No food for all the way up the cross. This is the cellar wine. He was weak and withered. Mm-hmm. Three more days in the tomb. Maybe she didn't recognize him because he was not the man that she saw previously. 
whether it's weak, maybe with his head down, I don't know. Or he couldn't pick up his head, I don't know. Maybe that's what. The other aspect is he was wrapped in linens, and the linens were in the tomb, so what was he wearing? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah. Well, heavenly clothes. Here's a, a story from the past. I'm with Marilyn at a store. I see this woman that was on my beach for three years. She was on the beach, you know, and I saw her constantly. So I walk up to her and I go, hi, Mary. She turns around and she gave me this weird look. And then she said, oh, Dale, I didn't realize, I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> so, out of context. I'll, I'll bet Marilyn loved that comment. <laughs> the, other, the other question I have is, uh, weren't there like 16 guards outside the... The what? Outside the tomb, weren't there Roman guards or... There at least two. Yeah. Two, three, quite a few. And where were they and uh, had they reported the stone being rolled back? I think another gospel says they were asleep. Oh, they so fell asleep. How many, how and many Pontius Pilate, somebody rebuked them for falling asleep. Or yeah, they were afraid of being killed because yeah, yeah, they were yeah. I seem like I read some over 16 of them. Josh McDowell, you probably know this, in evidence for a Bible says that's literally impossible for them to roll that stone. He, he looks at all the contradictions of what happened. Talks about Romans breaking in, maybe the disciples, but he claims that the, the stone was literally impossible to move. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody moved it initially to put him in there. So it wasn't impossible to move it aside. Probably you need a lot of, But not by human forces. Oh, to put it put it over again. Yeah. yeah, I think I think what you're talking about was for it's impossible for Jesus to move it away from the inside, but um, for him when, to get out. When the stone rolls in it's it's started starting at like an upward position and then you, it rolls you, downhill it rolls down down yeah. into position so then getting it back up weighing you know a couple thousand pounds or something three thousand pounds is not easy i think that's what you're talking about right right um the other thing that i noticed here is that she says um, let me find it whom are you seeking supposing him to be the gardener yeah. Um, so if he was all, you know, beat up, and does that make him look like a gardener? Is she talking about where? Is there a place? Because you know the location, Greg. Is that location where there would be gardeners? Well, there's debate about where where he was buried. So we still have. If you go to Israel, they will take you to this place, Golgotha, where most people believe it's not, because you actually see a tomb. You actually see, they actually have a um, a stone, you know, like we're talking about. It's there, mm-hmm. but most people do not believe that it's really there. Um, the other place that they believe that's happened um, is sort of the traditional place, and again, there's there's tombs and stuff there, but. No one really knows for sure, um, so we do not know for sure where he was, where he was buried. Um, 
I wonder where she got that at then when she said, you know, she thought he was a gardener that took well, him away. And maybe with wherever I was at at the time. It could have been yeah. a gardener. A gardener. Yeah. Gardeners are yeah. Just one more for you. Uh, I was just going to say that I, uh, the, the thing that he responds back, do, do not cling to me, it's like, spread out, lady. It seems a little <laughs> odd of a, a thing for him to say at that moment. Yeah, he, well, there's something about a physical point out we don't understand. And he says right after that, I for I have not ascended unto my father. So, so, so his, is his body, the, his glorified body, or is he in some kind of state? I mean, this is a resur- this is the first time in ever, I guess, and it never happened since, somebody was raised from the dead. So what's the body like when you're miraculously raised by God from the dead? He looks different. He's saying, hey, don't touch me. Maybe she'd get a shock. We don't know. But... <laughs> He's he's way different. But but was he way different for the next forty days? Uh, he walked through a wall. Mm-hmm. So, First Corinthians fifteen. Anybody remember what it says in First Corinthians fifteen? This is a possible reason why. I think I like what you guys were saying. I never thought of it before. He was beaten and all this type of stuff. But he was put on the cross. Obviously. We know that you can still see the Tom, you still see the marks in his um, hand, arm. Um, you see the cut in the side, but all the whippings and all that type of stuff. Something's changed. So in First Corinthians 15, it says, and I'll just read it. There's a couple of different places. Um, so it is with the resurrection of the dead in which Jesus is called the first fruits of that resurrection. So Jesus is the first fruits of what we ultimately will all be, is have resurrected bodies. All right. And he describes it as, what is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it was raised in glory, speaking of our bodies. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there also is a spiritual body. And then it says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So we are given a new body. That new body is both something where you can ultimately we can recognize each other at some point, but we're also somehow very different because we're now going to have bodies that are imperishable. They're not going to die. All right. So just even that, Jesus being the first fruits of that. He's going to look different, um, not just in the sense that maybe not, you know all the stuff that when he was beaten, but his body itself is is different. It is a imperishable body that is going to be like what we are going to have someday. So, so Lazarus coming out. Lazarus lives. did not have that. No, Lazarus did not have that imperishable body. Jesus is the first, and I think was you told me just said a minute. This happened one time in history. This is Jesus being given that imperishable body that we all now have the hope of having. 
which is so different about the Christian faith. I mean, that is one of the marks of the Christian faith that's different from any other religion, is that mind, body, and soul, we are going to be raised fully ourselves. We're going to be given a new body, but we're embodied. You know, a lot of religions believe you're sort of a spirit. Or if you're a Buddhist, you're nothing. <laughs> you know, but what's neat about Christianity is, is we as people, as persons, are still going to be, I'm going to still be great. You're still going to be Jack. Tom's going to be Tom. But there's going to be a new body that we're going to have that's not going to die. Can I read a scripture that uh-huh. relates to this? Mm-hmm. Um, I found it by concordance from, from verse 21, so what we just read. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. So it refers to Isaiah and chapter 61, first three verses. And the third verse relates to this new body thing. Mm. But the, the first two verses are, are what Jesus, I think what he, he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm sending you now in that verse I just read. So, if we're being sent, then here's what we're going to do, just like he did, according to the words of Isaiah. So, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening up the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Here's verse 3, and think of what the new resurrected body looks like. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, they're uh, beauty rather than ashes. So it's not just what we look like. It's, it's like, yeah, beauty is what we look like. Oil of joy for mourning. So the attitude is joy, the new resurrected us. And the last one is a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. So what do we look like? Well, we look like praise and joy and beauty. And what verse is this again? That's chapter 61, Isaiah uh, 1 through 3. Good, good question, David. That was a good discussion. It's, yeah. yeah, like what? I mean, I don't think we really fully know the answer to the question is why did they not recognize no, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's when, right. you, when you say body, you know, it's, it's something different than a physical body. Right, okay. right. But still recognizable because you see that once they do recognize them, then they recognize them. I mean, so there is symbol, semblance and you also. You put hands in the finger in the hole. Like, yeah. it's not like a spirit, right? It's like, yes. literally, like, he has a hold of his body. So, just a physicality in there and, like, incarnation. And that's, that's why it's so important people think, like, it, was this a ghost? No, it's not a ghost. I mean, he has no characteristics of a ghost. He has characteristics of something very different that people have not seen before in Earth. Right, what occurs to me is, is that his physical body was killed. Mm-hmm. They murdered him, right? And so 
what occurs to me is, is that when he's seen by people, they are seeing the Holy Spirit. And he's in, a, he's in an image that it's the Holy Spirit coming. And the, the thing that kind of speaks to that is, is um, on 19, on the evening of that day, first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, so it makes sense that he doesn't have a physical manifestation of a physical body. And if it's the Holy Spirit in an image, dressed in an image, then the physical body doesn't matter anymore. What we're seeing is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in, in the image during his transition. Yeah, and, although but, I would say he has, I mean, what's important here is he does have a physical body. He's, he's so touched. He is, he is able, yeah, you can he's touch touched. him. He so ate. the spirit, the spirit's on him, in yeah. him. Okay, still, obviously. Where see what he does with that spirit. But the physical body is really important. You can touch him. You can see him. You can, you know, so it's not just like a ghost of that sense of the spirit. It's like this is Jesus. This is the fullness of who he is. Um, he ate is, with the disciples. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. though he, he probably won't need to eat. Right. He ate. Yeah, so in, in Luke 24, 36 through, through 49... He makes it a point to to make sure that they know that he's physical. And he says, why are, you, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet? That it is that is I myself. Touch, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. There you go. And then he, you know, skipping down a little bit, and says, have you anything to eat? Jesus asked him, have you anything to eat? And they gave him uh, a piece of broiled fish, and he took and ate it before them. Mm. So he made it a point to make sure that they knew that he wasn't, uh, that that he had flesh and bones. Yeah, like he he was physical, but and he spirits walked. He appeared. <laughs> he appeared in the locked room. Uh huh. Mister yeah. Flesh and Bones. Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I mean, what what do we know about matter and energy? We know that matter is mostly hollow, and that you know, given enough power, matter, you know, matter matter isn't necessarily solid. Like we know that from the science that we know. We know from Star Trek. Yeah. So, beam me up, Scotty. Well, if he's fully God and fully man, I have no trouble with him going from one or the other. Yeah. Isn't this kind of what we were talking about last week? Like some of some of our talk is like trying to reason the miracle through like what we can comprehend, but there's certain things that like we can't comprehend right. because yeah. it, like it because that's like what we're talking about by living through faith and going through this yeah. like journey. You, there's some stuff that you're just like, well, how'd that happen? Like you don't. Yeah. So we say, know. how exactly does that work? And it's like it's not it's not explained. Yeah. But what is explained is. See my hands and my feet. Touch me. Yeah. You know, does the spirit have flesh and blood? Like yeah. that is known because it's specifically said. Like, what's the what's the physics or the like? What is he actually made of? We don't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Specifics. It's almost interesting. 
we've, we've said this before, we're reading this in hindsight. Mm -hmm. So the author, John, as he's trying to write this, he's got to go back and he's got to pick out the big stories and, and be somewhat, you know, um, he's got to wordsmith it in a way for for the people that read it will read it. So there's certain signs and so forth that he has to pick up. We don't know all of the details, and I don't know if that's really important. He's given us. But he's given us. He's given us these 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 tokens and these signs that just kind of that he has to because otherwise we're not there. We weren't there two thousand years ago. It's got to be legit enough for us to. But not all the details necessarily need to be there. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, you know, when what you wrote a few minutes ago, he appears. You know, he may appear at the front door and knock and they let him in. Like, he didn't necessarily have to walk through the wall. That's kind of, uh, exactly. I mean, it was locked. Because it's, it's weird that he would say that he, that was one of the signs of the door being locked. But when they make that point. So we don't know we if know he... that he yeah. did somehow. And there's other times. I mean, all of a sudden he appeared. He goes from, what, Jerusalem to Galilee or Galilee to Jerusalem. You know, like, poof. Like, he literally does transport himself. Yeah. Uh, the word appear just cool. connotates that someone just shows up right there. Just, yeah. Uh, just, uh, yeah. Maybe that's the wrong word to use. Did you, did, in the reading, did we read through 23? Through 23? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we did. So exactly. can anyone, ex I can't, explain verse 23? What read it again? In King James, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, that's from 22. If you cool. forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So that's a lot of power for a human to have the power to, yeah. oh, if I don't, if I'm going to retain, you know, Jim sin, then in heaven they are going to be retained. There's, it's like, I don't get it. Humans, humans have. Well, okay. So I was gonna, I was gonna focus on that part. I guess we could do it now. Um, so this is a good question. Anybody want any comments on that? Let's so see what happens. So, again. so if you take a look at twenty-three, Jesus says, "If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld." Okay, just part one. Maybe yes. it's a little more understandable. Mm -hmm. If I forgive you, that means heaven forgives you. That's, that's what right. that's saying. That's right. That's pretty amazing. So I mean, what if you're right. what if you're a gnarly bad guy and just out of my good Christian art, I forgive you, but God's like, uh, no. It's like no. It, we give, we have tremendous power. Right. So context is everything. <laughs> So go back a few verses because there's a, because to, to get to your to get to answer your question, you've got to go back to see what Jesus is doing here. Okay, which is really key to actually to all of us, which is what Tom's bringing out. I think he's just referring to the disciples, not to everybody. Exactly. Well, so I want you, yeah. So I want you to look, and if you go, let's so let's go back. So on the evening of the first day of the week, he, the doors locked. The disciples let him in. He says, "Peace be with you." <clears throat> then the disciples were glad, and they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, <clears throat> so I want you to listen, but you have to understand this whole sequence, because what we've been seeing in John, Jesus is speaking still a lot of stuff that's already gone on in John. Did so, you mean to say they let him in? 
No, I didn't mean to say they let him. Did I say that? Yeah. The door was locked. Did I say they let him? Yeah. And then okay. they let him in. I didn't mean to say that. Okay. <clears throat> um, thank you. So. Well, I've already read it. It doesn't say he appeared. So he showed up. Oh, semantics, right? That's what I thought. The word appear may be the wrong word. Well, appear came out of what Jesus came, Jesus came and stood them. among them, which is yeah. the, his presence. What Peter read said appeared. The way? What Peter read a while ago said appeared. Which well, you what, might be reading. John, what but you read another. I was Luke. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I want you to take a look at what happens here. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. So who's he talking to? The disciples. The disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So what is, what, this is key <laughs> um, to even all the rest of the Gospels. You'll see at the end of every Gospel, what, what do you have happening? Pretty much at the end of every gospel, I think. There's a commission. Jesus, in his resurrected state, is commissioning his disciples to go out. Go out. Go go out. out. Okay? So that's the context of what we're talking about here. So notice, and this is in the language of John, because as you remember, John is constantly referring to the fact that the Father did something, Jesus is following what the Father does, and then we as disciples follow follow what Jesus does. So there's this little waterfall effect. Father sends Jesus, Jesus sends us. Alright, that's if you remember this is the theme. You want to know about one of the themes, Ken, we were talking about? This is one of the themes throughout John. Is this idea that Jesus does what the Father tells him, and then we follow Jesus. So we have this little waterfall effect. So <clears throat> This is the commissioning of the disciples, because soon Jesus is going to go, right? And is this, this is going to happen. This is how they receive the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yeah, so exactly. So notice what happens next. This is just for the disciples. And so when he said this to them, he did what? He breathed on them, and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So he almost became godlike, and to I mean, <clears throat> well, not so much godlike. Well, but this is but, but that deputized better word because they it says here yeah, that, that they're they have the power to forgive and not forgive. Well, hold on, okay, yeah. So yeah, so we can get to that, but I want to get this first part here. Jesus is sending them out. In sending them out, they need to be empowered to go out and do what. What are they going to do? Witness. They're going to witness by doing what? What are they going to witness with? Spreading the gospel. That's right. Okay, they're going to go out and they're going to spread the gospel. All right, they're going to speak the words that Jesus gave them to go speak to others. Right? Sort of following me there? All right, so he has to empower them to do that. And so he breathes the Holy Spirit on them which now the Spirit is in them. Because where was the Spirit before he breathed in on them? In him. It's in him. Okay. <laughs> so you see this commission. Jesus here is on earth. He is the one who forgives sins. He has the Spirit in him. 
Now he's going to finally give the commission to the disciples to now have the Spirit and preach the Word and empower them to go proclaim the Gospel to the rest of the world. But I want you to watch the sequence. Because this gets what Tom's saying. What happened, and here we have an example right here. Thank you, Jack. You, you, <laughs> you get the example for us. So think about the whole sequence of what has happened. Because Jesus breathes the Spirit on them, empowers them to go out and speak the word of the gospel to others. After Pentecost, what ends up happening? When someone speaks the word of God to someone else through the power of the Spirit, and that person, by faith, says, yes, I put my faith in Jesus, what happens? Their sins are forgiven, and... They get the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. Two things happen. Exactly. As when someone says, I accept and place my faith in Christ, I am now not only having my sins forgiven through the words of Christ, I am now being empowered myself in having the Spirit of God in me. And then Jack, (laughs) okay, Jack gets to go do that now to others. And here we are, 2,000 years later. Why? Because of exactly what happens in this passage. Is So it's not that we forgive another. It's that we proclaim the gospel through the Spirit that that forgiveness comes unto others through that. And this is the first commissioning of that happening, of the disciples doing that. So, that was really well said. Did, did that? Yeah, that, that was really, really well okay. said. That was tough. Right. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Yes. So, as a summary, we study John, we study Jesus' life on earth, he gets the disciples to believe, mm-hmm. and in John, not 12, see, John 15, 15, I no longer, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I called your, you friends. For all of you, I have heard from my Father. I have made you, made you known, known to you. So right then is when he's starting to tell you, tell the disciples, it's different now. You're not my servants anymore. You're my friends. So as, as it's progressing, he gets to this state with prophecy and then comes back. And now he's able to give them the power to forgive sin. I have a question about that. They don't forget. No, this is okay. Okay, this go ahead. Important. Maybe I got it wrong. Yeah, this is no, this is important. So I will say right here, this is where the Catholic faith differs. Okay, because they will take it like there's some type of power that a person is given, the priest, to actually forgive someone's sin. The priest doesn't have the power to forgive sins, like what Tom said. Oh, like ultimately, confession? we spread, we. Through, our, through the words of Christ, through the gospel and the Spirit in us, we proclaim that, but it is God, through the Spirit in that person, accepting their faith, that they receive that forgiveness from Christ and receive the Spirit. And this both at the same time. But every one of us can do that. But, you know. But let me just make sure yeah. I understand this. 
because we, we're talking about believers and unbelievers. So if yes. I'm talking to an unbeliever, and I didn't know your story, so I don't know what had happened. I kind of listened to it a little bit, so I'm sorry if I'm not understanding completely. So if I, if I have an unbeliever right here, I have the power, as because I believe in Jesus Christ, to forgive this person's sins? No. 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 Okay. You're, you're, I, that, that, yeah, this is okay, really... I'm not this, understanding this. This is yeah. really good. Basically, actually, you're asking a really good I'm question. really glad yeah. you said this, because... Yeah. Uh, uh, friends and I, we'd go out and soul win and go to unbelievers and start like talking to them. And one of my friends like, oh, dude, I saved this guy. I'm like, you didn't save anything. He's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, you yeah. delivered the message. God did the saving. So right. what, what uh, Greg is saying is you're the messenger. You're the fisher of men. You're the guy that delivers the message... By the power of the Spirit. Right. The and then the Holy Spirit, so God himself, does the saving. Yes. You don't do the saving, you deliver the message to get it done. Yeah. So and this just... This something last sentence is very confusing, then. Yeah, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 well, I'm, I'm, so what... Here's... So I'll just coming that up. Here's one of the reasons why it's confusing to us. Yeah, so here's one of the reasons why it's confusing to us, is... This is where study helps because we don't know the Greek language. And we don't have the ability in English. We don't, we don't have all the tenses of verbs. Like if you, if you look at the Greek language, what is, if you have to, if you learn Greek, what is so extremely hard in learning Greek is you have to learn all these tenses of verbs that we do not have. You know, we have past, present, future. They have like, I forget how many tenses. Those tenses are really important in getting across, meaning when a Greek would read it in Greek, he will see that these words here are in the passive sense, which means I'm not doing it, it's being done to you. Okay? So you're I'm proclaiming I'm proclaiming the gospel to you, but it's not me who is making that forgiveness happen in you. It's passive because it's God who does it and you, not me. I get so that. Way, I just, that's yeah. not what this says. It says, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's right. basically deputizing somebody to say whether or not you're forgiven mm-hmm. or not. Yeah, I know that's not right, yeah, I know, right. But that's what that is. But it, it does, and I will say, when you read it just like that, it does sound like that because a lot of, there's been a lot of controversy around this verse. Um, I, wrote, I wrote a note on this. Yeah. I? Just as I was, as I was reading this and contemplating, uh, I said, uh, "So he gave us, he gave them the spirit, and in particular the spirit of forgiveness." And I had said to myself, "Perhaps when we walk in the spirit of forgiveness, this leads to forgoing blame and condemnation, just in general, as you." And as you enter into a situation with another human being, which leads to eliminating the impulse to defend oneself, which leads to an open heart and mind with which to hear the truth and receive the Spirit. So the thought on that is when we enter into a situation, if we're really walking in that spirit of forgiveness, it will disarm whoever it is we're talking to. And, the, you know, most people that you, you know, especially like, you know, dealing with homeless people or whatever, they've got so much history, they've got so much baggage that there's just a giant wall there. No, I'm too bad, I'm too dirty, I'm too whatever. And if we can just 
let that spirit move through us into that person so they know this person's not judging me in any way, shape, or form. They're open to well, receive that spirit. It almost seems like there's two words missing from that sentence, from you, meaning like if you withhold forgiveness, if you judge, then it's going to be judged, you're going to be judged. And if you re- if you add that those two words, I don't mean to be... If you withhold forgiveness from Annie, it is withheld from you. To kind of what well, you're saying, yeah. you know, if, you, if if you're not going to forgive everybody, then then you're kind of sinning, right? That's the way I I could. I yeah, could I don't inter- know if that's what the context of this has to do with. That's withheld from you. Um, it is the power we have. So, in proclaiming the gospel. Part of what we're doing, and we saw this in John, is when you proclaim the God, if you don't say anything to people, nothing really happens. But when you proclaim the gospel, it's like the sword comes in and it divides. And one of the things it does as you proclaim the gospel is it separates those who believed from those who don't. It puts a... um, So when I come to you and I say... Jesus died for your sins. Alright. You need to ask for that forgiveness. Alright. And by doing that, I'm not putting you in the position of, I've got to make a decision. <laughs> Alright. And you have two decisions to make. Do you accept and put your faith in Christ? Or by the very mere fact that I'm proclaiming the gospel to you, it can also divide and say, you are not ready to do that yet. Or you're going to reject the gospel. And that's what's happening here, is you're having sort of this division that's coming in, that through the preaching of the gospel, some are going to be accept that through, through faith in Christ, and they're going to believe, and some are going to say, I don't. I get that. Yeah. Can we agree that this is a bad... Uh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> we can agree that it, there's a lot of nuances here. In the translation. The translation stuff that makes it very yeah. If we're going to like keep splitting hairs, I want to keep splitting hairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at the end, you could, if you want to add those words too, you could add from them at the end, and you could say, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld from them. But then, yeah. then it's just that's really see. Cool. Now you're like, whoa, well, yeah, <laughs> now, well, because then if you say if, from if them, you, if you have the power to for, uh, to withhold forgiveness, it is with, withheld from them. You're basically, well, yeah, no. no, 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 no. But if you think of forgiveness as in like you know. You being saved, or like you were saying, like, oh, I saved this guy. Like, you giving somebody the ability to hear the gospel, then that's just kind of like, oh, that makes sense, right? No, I like, get that. You, yeah. How do you achieve forgiveness of sins? The blood of Christ, right? Yeah, Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, let's say you talk to an unbeliever. Maybe he just doesn't know about that. He doesn't know much about the Bible, Right. He doesn't know that his sins are forgiven through the blood of Christ. Maybe he doesn't even know that he's sinning. Okay, what it, what I interpret this as saying, and I've always interpreted it as it's the saying, is by you forgiving the sins of many or any or whatever, you are giving the person the gospel. And if you withhold the gospel to an unbeliever and they don't know about the forgiveness of sins, then yeah, you're withholding forgiveness because he doesn't know about the good news. It's, in my interpretation, it's literally just saying, either you give the gospel to someone who doesn't know it, and they accept it, and their sins are forgiven, or you withhold it, 
and they don't know about it, and it's real. Okay, well, I follow, agree with you. On with that. This is the perfect segue to the message translation, which says... Yeah, yeah I was wondering uh, about the translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it says, proceed the If you forgive someone else's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? He said something like rhetorical, like... Mm. I mean, it's kind of like what you said. Is like, what? What then? What then? If, if you, as opposed to the active, like, you know, like, uh, like that, we have the power. But it, it sets it sets up that, that rhetorical question. Yeah. I don't. It, it's it, this last sentence is is, is troubling. I, I don't mean, like people it. People have tried to to try to because I could go. Like you can go with what you're saying. You can go with what he's saying. You can go with. You know, I mean, there's some different views of saying that last part particularly. So what is that talking about there? We certainly don't have the power or the ability to forgive sins. Of or, right. If you read this, keeping it simple and stupid, if you have the Spirit, you're supposed to forgive everybody. And I think what he's saying here, if you withhold forgiveness, I'm withholding forgiveness for you. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So here's a, a, okay. verse, a, comma here, a few then. verses from <laughs> Acts. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and this is supports the hardball interpretation of what we're talking about. And when they had gone through the aisle into... What, what are you reading from for Acts? Acts 13, verse 6. Okay. And when they had gone through the aisle to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name was by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the de- deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him and said, O full of all subtlety and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the so that's that's that to me. What he just read there would be that last sentence. That would be a good example of that. Yeah. So you you're not only empowered, not powered. You're you're only empowered to preach the gospel, but also to if <laughs> to um, cast the word. <laughs> what? Cast out devils. Yeah, cast out demons. You, to rebuke. Rebuke. That's the word I was looking for. To rebuke. Others also who are in sin. Um, yeah. I mean, in that instance, Paul is denying that guy forgiveness. Yeah. Because he's because he is turning. He's denying Jesus ultimately. I would say. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it, it's so even the powers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this helps clear it up at all, but okay. <laughs> Go no, no, the, the footnote. I, I, I'm. What Robert said, I'm, I'm on board with what Robert said. But it says here, Jesus bestowed on his followers authority to announce access or disbarment from God's kingdom based on reception or denial of the gospel message. Okay, good. Yeah. So it's yeah. either it's either you believe in the gospel message or you don't. I get that. So but I don't think you have the power to do that to me, though. No, but he's talking, I think... He's talking about his disciples. He commissioned his disciples. He breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples and said, go out. That clears a lot for me. Well, but it doesn't... 
they're on a different level than the rest of us. Exactly. No, uh, not, 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 really. Really. not really. Not really. No. They are empowered with the same empowerment we have. That's very important because when Pentecost came, the Spirit of God came, and we today are, in essence, we have the full ability to do what the disciples did, which is to go and proclaim the gospel through the power of the Spirit. If I were yeah. a Catholic priest, I would, I would, this is my, my go-to part. Well, and, and they will, they, they use this in that Confession. way. But you'll notice it's the disciples, okay? So you're putting them on a different level. I'm not. I'm not a Catholic priest, I'm not. Definitely. No, 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 the, yeah. the, the, the apostles. No, I'm saying these are the disciples. It's the disciples. Yeah. Whichever way, their commission is now our commission. Go yeah, and make even, disciples. Even though we say that, mm-hmm. that way, none of the disciples turned water into the, the wine. Yeah. Yeah. No, but even basically, that's you're saying like, you're but, basically saying there's unbelievers and believers. There's two different yeah, types yeah. of people. And Isaiah, when when uh, what Abraham took, went to go kill his son, I mean, he had a lot of knowledge. But what if that was me and God told me, go sacrifice your son? I wouldn't do it. So did I sin? Did I, did I get the knowledge? I mean, are you I, saying that the power to forgive sin is for believers and unbelievers? I think this is where everyone's getting confused. (laughs) Um, We, okay. What's the first thing that Jesus says? Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, he says that. Receive the Holy Spirit. So we've received the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit's within us. Ephesians 1.15. And why have we received the Holy Spirit? Because we accepted the gift of Christ. Very good. So... So what is the purpose of going out and spreading the gospel? To proclaim the good news, to give the gift of Jesus, whatever, right? To obey him. But how do you obey? Give the gospel. Be fishers of men, right? right? What's the ultimate good work? Is it going to church every Sunday, or is it becoming a fisher of men and spreading the good news, right? So what it's saying is it's saying receive the Holy Spirit, okay, so... The believer has received the Holy Spirit. Now it's saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Does that mean that you, as an individual, have the power to forgive sins? Or does that mean that the Holy Spirit that's within you has the power to forgive sins? Does that mean that Jesus can forgive sins, or can you forgive sins? Well, the Bible says over and over and over and over, Jesus, 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 right? So what does that mean for you? That means that the way you forgive sins is by yielding that Holy Spirit that's within you. So you go out and you proclaim the gospel with the Holy Spirit, you know, inside you. And if someone, if an unbeliever is like, you know what? Like with what happened last week, you know what? This makes sense. You're right. Okay. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They're forgiven. If you withhold, if you withhold it, and, you, and this happens a lot. Everyone has... This has happened to everyone. You see someone and you you kind of want to tell them, but you're scared of what they might think or whether they'll reject it or not. And so you kind of rationalize it to yourself and just say, oh, I'll just do it later or I just won't do it. You're withholding forgiveness. So therefore, forgiveness Ooh, is withheld. that's good. Yeah. Right? That's, what, that's my whole point the whole yeah. time. So you're literally just yielding God's power. You're the soldier with the sword. You're not the sword. Everyone keeps thinking 
that they're the sword. You're not okay, then, the sword. then I have another couple words after this. <laughs> if you would, yeah, but what, I'm, you'll remember what you're going to say. I'm just going to say that was amazing. Yeah, thank I, you, Robert. That, yeah. that puts so much responsibility on us yeah. for the sin of omission, the sin of doing nothing. And that's the a sin, sin of that's fear, fear. over and over in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. Let, me, let me finish my forward. It says to you him that yeah, but. Knoweth what? <laughs> Time for yeah, but. Okay. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld at that particular space-time continuum mm-hmm. because it's not right. forever. At no, that it's not moment, forever. maybe right. you got it. But this is almost saying you're right. This person's written off forever. No, no, yeah, it's not saying that, is it? I don't. It's not. Say it's, it's not. But it's kind yeah. of saying if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Yeah. At that moment, that doesn't mean you know down the road or whatever he someone can else it. someone else could do it. it. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. Go ahead. All right. So, so I'm going to read an, uh, another good Catholic verse. <laughs> so, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew. So what I believe about this this verse, just to bring up another verse of the big one, and the verse that we're talking about in yes. John is the authority that that Jesus gives to his disciples, the the authority that he gives. You know, he says, uh, "So my Father sent me; I am sending you." So his Father sent him with authority to do the will of his Father. Jesus sends us sends us with his authority to do his will through through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I think it's related to this verse in that Jesus is giving the authority. Right? right? And then we see that we see the disciples, they have the authority. They have the authority for many different things. Like I think that was a great verse um, that that uh, that Tom read. I think that yeah, that was a great example of some types of authority that the disciples have or that we have. Yeah, so so as a summary, then we'll move on. <laughs> Give us a synopsis. Yeah, those, I don't know how to do a good synopsis. As a summary, I think the important thing is we are given, when we believe in Christ, we're given the Spirit. As part of that, we also we are given the responsibility and the authority to go preach the gospel to others. We do not save others. But the gospel saves. But we are the ones who need to go and preach that gospel. Right? I mean, that's that's what... I mean, we do start out the gospel of John a year and a half ago with that whole thing of saying, as we go through John, what do we want to do is we want to speak the gospel to others. All right? And we've seen a lot of really awesome examples of us doing that here. But that's our responsibility. Now, I will say, I don't really know. I think there's some... There's some different meanings here, but the important thing is we do not forgive someone else's sins. Only Jesus can forgive sins. However, <laughs> we have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel that in the hearing and by the Spirit, other people's sins can be forgiven by Jesus. Huge responsibility. Um, does that make sense? I mean, so we want, we don't ever want to think we have that. We are not the ones who forgive sins. We're the ones who preach the gospel that brings that forgiveness when they hear that. But what I said earlier, if if we withhold the gospel, then we are letting the sinner remain in their sin. 
James chapter yeah. 4, verse 17. So who, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Yeah, well. So, yeah. If, if you know it's the right thing to do. The James what? Uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Yeah. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. In terms of, especially soul winning, right? You've got strength the gospel. Like, you have an opportunity to do it, and you just tell yourself, oh, I'll do it later, or whatever. Is that just then like then that person, the object person, their sin yeah. is withheld, because yeah. you shut up. Yeah. yeah. I, that I, makes the whole thing, to me, to make sense. Yeah. I think the I think there's two potential meanings here. One is what you're saying. I think the other one is what you read with the verse, which is when we we have the ability also through that power to also proclaim judgment, okay, and speak that against someone who maybe has a, you know, a Satan worshiper or something in them. Um, review. Yeah, when we have the power to review someone. Okay. Um, so it's anyway. Two-edged wow. sword. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to believe? Okay. Yeah. All right. I have a question. Did I, before you ask you, did I, did you no. used your... Are you okay? No. I know I did, because I never really fully got what you were trying to do. you want to ask it again? Acts. To take the mantle of Christ, for me to take the mantle of Christ, mm-hmm. in all aspects of Christ, 13, six. to say, I have all the power that he has. No. 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 Okay. Yeah. And that's, okay. we're definitely not saying that here. We're not saying we can go out and turn water into wine. Okay. Okay. We have the power of the Spirit in us, and we're supposed to use that power of many things is to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not but to do miracles. Not to do, not to think that we can go around us and do all the things that Jesus did. Jesus did certain miracles <laughs> for the purpose of showing that he was the one Messiah. We can't repeat those miracles. Okay. You know, so. Okay. Yeah. I make a motion to what Greg said. <laughs> anyway, yes, Eric. Uh, Acts um, 1 8. But yes. ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, yeah. and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, this was a, the way I'm reading it, and, and I read somewhere else that. The Holy Spirit descended on each one like a pillar of fire. And what happened was they were each given tongues to speak in the languages of all the Gentiles in Jerusalem at the time. And so the spreading of the gospel being a gift from the Holy Spirit to the disciples was to speak to the Gentiles to deliver the word in their own languages. Right, right. And that's what we're talking about as our charge also. Mm-hmm. And so then the question that I have is, is that if this was a special gift just to the disciples, where Which do we gift? come in? Which gift? The, oh, tongues. See, they were given... Oh, the same power as Jesus, what we saw. See, well, they were given what... Another source I read said the gift of tongues to speak in languages that were foreign to them, but were understood by all the different cultures that were in Jerusalem at the time. 
And so was this a special gift just given to them to, to spread the gospel and get the beginnings of the church going? Um, or well, is... well, I'll tell you, let's answer that. When we're done with Romans, we'll go to Acts. Oh, okay. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> no. Is that three years from now? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to get into it all. We're going to get off into the whole thing of tongues and all that stuff. However, one of the things, when you guys think about this for a moment, because this goes back to this passage too in a similar way, think about what happens in Acts that he's talking about. All of a sudden, through the power of the Spirit, all these people are able to understand the language of one another. What does that sound like a reversal of? Ooh. Babel. Tower of Babel. Yeah. Yes. Okay? That's exactly what it is. Okay, you have an act, a reversal of what happened through the sin of mankind back at the Tower of Babel, where they were all trying to be like God, you know, blowing this thing up. And what did God do? God took them and gave them different languages that see ya, okay, <laughs> and spread them all out. What you see with Jesus is now, through his forgiveness, forgiveness is now for not just the Jews, but the entire world. And through the Spirit, in what's happening in Pentecost there, is you're seeing a reversal happen with, if you think about it, what brings us all together? There is no longer any Jew or Greek, no longer any master or slave, no longer male or female. We are all one in Christ. Not that there's not male or female, just that we are one in Christ. No division among anybody. When you place your faith in Christ, we are one. It's basically saying the Tower of Babel that spread everybody apart and divided everybody. Jesus, through the proclam, through His forgiveness, is the way we all become come come back one in Christ in Him. So you have some reversals going on there um, with that. So on the tongues thing too, everyone in here probably has different slice of a viewpoint of tongues. And the one that you're talking about here in Acts is, like you were saying, is definite languages. Like somebody speaking Greek, somebody speaking some dialect in India. They weren't doing gobbledygook like you see in churches today where people are speaking in tongues and they're just speaking. There's one that a friend taught me that covers it really well. Could have bought a Honda, I should have bought a Honda. That's what tongue sounds like when you're in a charismatic environment. It's meaningless. But this this is powerful yeah. witnessing. And I remember Chuck, Chuck Smith told a story that Calvary is having a, a retreat up at Arrowhead, and it was the women, and they were in a big conference room, and some lady got up and started speaking in tongues really loud. And the bartender from another room, worked for the hotel, ran in and said, who is speaking perfect Farsi in my dialect? And they witnessed to him, and he was saved. That's an example of the tongues of fire coming down. They're speaking in tongues. It's a witnessing tool. Right. All right. Anybody else have anything else <laughs> as we're going through and reading on a different subject? This part here as we're going through and reading about why? the resurrection here. Um, yeah, we really uh, analyzed the last couple of or last couple of sentences, but back to the resurrection. 
my opinion, uh, I was thinking about it a little bit. I went back and read the worst 16 drawings. They were composed of Jews and Romans. Never found a body. So it says to me that if you got that many people, especially a high priest, who doesn't want resurrections, you know he's looking for it. Yeah. And everybody's looking for it, and nobody can find it. That's proof in my mind that something miracle. And that is one of the proofs of the resurrection. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, did, who else? <clears throat> yeah, did. Um, it seems strange to me that Christ didn't acknowledge himself to Peter and John. Uh-huh. He lets them go home. Mm-hmm. Then he speaks to a woman and tells her to go announce it to everybody. Yes. So he empowers a, a woman to, to identify the resurrection over one of his disciples. Being on the so do you guys, do you, I don't know if you can really understand the impact of what that had, and that still does in our world today, that world, the world back then. Radical. But I mean, beyond even radical. I mean, the fact that Jesus gives a woman, he, in essence, of a, and one way of looking at it is he actually gives them the power over the apostles, because an apostle is someone who's a messenger. So he tell, gives the women the power to go and speak the message to the ones who were supposed to be the messengers, which are the apostles. And doing that in that society back then, to say the women are going to be carrying that message to the men who are all locked up in the room going, oh, you know, I'm scared. Okay. So, so to that point, I think, yes. but, but that's one thing that jumped out of you. They were locked in there from the Jews. So that... They were locked so, in there so, so they were, the Jews. So they were being persecuted already by the Jews. Well, they weren't being persecuted, being, but they were afraid they were going they to be persecuted. They were afraid that the, the soldiers and stuff would come after them, and they didn't want to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. So yes, they went and ran away. And guess who were there? The women. And guess who Jesus empowers? The women to go and tell the men Jesus has risen. So the most important declaration ever in the history of the world that Jesus has risen is given to women. But didn't didn't Jesus consider her almost a disciple, but she was a follower? She was was the voice of Christendom for a very short time. She was Christendom. (laughs) According to the Da Vinci Code, that was his wife. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, so anyway, just it's just something, since you brought up, it's just something as a reminder, I think, especially all of us the men in this room, um, don't ever think that we somehow are above a woman in any form. <laughs> I mean, they, they are the ones who were given by Jesus the power to go and tell the gospel, the first ones who said Jesus has risen. It's just, so the- just amazing to me. So the sort of puts me in my place. Saw the perfect T-shirt at a family reunion. Some guy showed up wearing. Said, uh, "I asked God to make me a better man, so He gave me a wife." <laughs> yeah, gave me a woman. another point of consideration with the women being uh, the first witnesses of the of the resurrection is that it's an embarrassing fact. Right? It's an embarrassing fact to the disciples who are writing the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So if they were making the story up, yeah. why why would they include this embarrassing detail? Right. Um, 
So it has the hallmark of truth. So historians would give it like a credit that this is credible because it's embarrassing to those who are writing it and they would have, if they were fabricating a story, they would have no reason to do this. And then another consideration is that um, in that culture, the testimony of women wasn't considered a valid testimony. So Yeah, very good. um, It wasn't legal. Yeah, it it wasn't considered a valid testimony because Mm -hmm. it was you know, patriarchal society, you know, very sexist. Um, and Josephus, one of the historians, said that the testimony of a, of a woman is, like, equal to that of, like, a, a thief or, like, a criminal or something. So so, that, so that's also, it doesn't lend to the credibility of the story, uh, you know, of the resurrection. Not only is it, it's, it's embarrassing in a couple ways, Yeah, you know. And so it has the hallmark of truth. So... You know, that's one way to assess it from a historical perspective. Jason. That compounded with... He doesn't... To go back to the last sentence, he doesn't tell them to go preach the gospel. He says... He breathes on and says, Receive the Holy Spirit if you if you forgive the sins of any... They are forgiven of them. If you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. So he has just made them the law. Okay? He's and made so them the what? The law. So what he's just told them is go out and break the law all day long. Okay? And y- you will be crucified like me. Of uh, what's the law they're breaking? They don't have the power to forgive the the the, the chief priests, the, the Sanhedrin, that whole thing, they just immediately declare heresy. Oh, okay. okay. Crucify them too. Uh-huh. So, they, okay, now I need, this is the deal, and now you're going to go put your life at risk instantly. So you're going to be embarrassed by the fact that I've had a woman see me first, and you're going to have to believe her. Now you're going to have to go tell people who won't believe you. Um, others, anybody who hasn't spoken, um, just something you saw in all this. Um, anybody else? I see you two are being quiet over there. <laughs> Thinking away. Anything comes to you guys' mind? Well, no, I just had a bunch of questions on 23. Uh-huh. I think we've covered it. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the questions yeah. remain. Yeah. Wow, that one, I, I knew we were going to get, like, um, have discussion about it, not talk. I think we were. That was a good discussion. Like that's why I call really wrestling with it. Is there anything you left unanswered? Well, I'm sure there are many. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think all of them are. But <laughs> anything in particular that you still go like? Yeah, I don't know. It seems like one of those that's like, going to take a few years to figure that one. Out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're still working on it here, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's definitely some mystery and controversy around how do you how do you really figure this one out? Yeah. Um, anyone else? Historically, were there any women crucified? Uh, great question, and I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. I thought he did crucify women, but like not like Mary or anyone like that. Yeah. I, mean, I know during, like, I heard on, well, it's YouTube, so. But like during the whole Nero thing that they would crucify women. Women, too. Yeah. Uh, I have an interesting footnote about. Uh, Holy Spirit. 
that kind of brings it on a personal basis. Um, it says, the power of the Holy Spirit was not designed solely for the first century church. Rather, all Christians are indwelt by the Spirit and thus have his power available. However, living the Christian life under the Spirit's power must not be thought of as simply allowing the Spirit to take control while the believer does nothing. The believer still must live the Christian life, though he, he does it through the Spirit's power. Hmm. Romans 8.13 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is you who are to put to death the sinful deeds of the body, but you are to do it through the Spirit's power. Mm -hmm. The Christian who struggles in his own strength to live the Christian life will fail. He must by faith um, daily, appropriate daily the power of the Holy Spirit described um, practically. This means that believer trusts the Spirit to empower him in specific instances such as sharing the faith with others, resisting temptation, being faithful. There is no secret formula that makes the Spirit's power available. It's simply a reliance on the Spirit's help. So when he says, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit for us helps us to overcome our sin nature and to fight against the enticements of the world. So we each have the Holy Spirit in us, helping us resist sin. Yeah, and I think what he, what he was saying earlier is one of those examples of that sin, which is just keeping our mouth shut and not sharing the gospel with others. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're, that's, our, that's what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to go out and preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I know every one of us, me, I know me, you know, you... It's hard because it's convicting. You know that you should have shared something and you didn't. And, I mean, that's part of the reason why we all meet here is give us, hope, hopefully, the language and the boldness to the power of the Spirit to go and tell others about Jesus. So, yeah. That's, that's I, I like the aspect that the Holy Spirit is giving me the strength to fight my sin nature. Yeah, yeah. And that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So there's a, a theme here... What we're reading, or we're about to read next time, mm -hmm. that's pretty powerful, and it kind of puts the uh, argument that we're having a few minutes ago about do we have the power to forgive sins, and can we curse people? And you know, that's like that's super advanced. That's like grad school. <laughs> we're not there. The thing that's powerful that we where we are is: do we believe by hearing, or do we believe by seeing? And we get into this next time. It's verse 29 when he's dealing with Thomas. Yeah. And Jesus says, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Good job. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Which is all of us. That's all of us. Yeah. And, and then digging around, there's uh, at the um, end of Mark. Uh, let me read. There's others who didn't believe. It's amazing. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had, not, and had been seen of her, believed not. So the 
the disciples are in the room, and she comes up and says, he's alive, and they went, you're, you're nuts. So they heard, and they didn't believe. And Jesus is saying, you blew it. You should believe when you hear. And it happened again, I didn't know this. And next verse, after that he appeared unto another form, under two of them, as they walked and went to the country. That's the guys on Emmaus. That's right. So the guys from Emmaus came back to Jerusalem and banged on the door and told the disciples they saw him. And what did they do? And when they went and told them the residue, the disciples, neither did they believe them. The disciples, these cool, great guys, they didn't believe twice on the word. And, and afterwards, he appeared, Jesus, and, the, right? and then yeah. afterwards, he, Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and embraided them. He, you know, got angry mm-hmm. with them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. But in Acts, it says, when they were together in the upper room, isolated, that's when he ascended. And they saw that ascension. That's kind of hard. To yeah, that's forty days. Yeah, 40 but they, yeah, but yeah. they saw and believed. Right. Yeah. So just, Jesus is saying, "Blessed are you if you don't see and believe." Yeah. And so, like Greg says, that's us in this room. Yeah. And those who have doubts and yet still believe, you know, God honors that. Yeah. All right. Good. Really. That's a good statement. Those who have doubts, he still honors. Yeah, Caleb. I just had a question. So, when he got crucified, did they still believe he was Messiah before he was raised? No. No, that's when they took off. And that's that's the fascinating thing in here is you see that they're not, they still are not believing after ever, they've been with him for three years. So does Mary Magdalene, when she says that, like, they've taken away my Lord, Uh does she still believe that he's the Messiah? We don't really know in her heart, but I think... You get the women, we're the women, they're following Jesus all the way to the cross, they're at the cross, you see their dedication and stuff, what they actually believe in their heart, I, I don't know, but, but they, they certainly showed with their feet um, that they loved the Lord and were there at the cross, um, yeah. Great, great, here's uh-huh. something, so 20 verse 8. Um, when when they're when they're first seeing the tomb empty, right? Um, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. And then it says, "For as yet did, they did not understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead." So yeah. we see, you know, there's various times we're talking about the book of John as. Seeing the believing, believing. Right. Keep believing. on believing. There's progression. And there right. are many times where it says they saw this and they believed. Yeah. You know, but it, it uh, but it's like they believed, but they still didn't understand that he must be raised from the dead. So they were trying to, they, be, they believed, but they were still trying to figure it out. What do you think that means? <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I don't. I think that's what John is doing and it will end. I love John because it creates this tension of saying you sort of believe, but you don't fully believe. We've seen that throughout John. You've seen where it says that someone believes, but they still don't really fully believe. 
I think it sort of helps a lot of us to realize sometimes belief is sort of this progression. It's also the something we have to keep on believing. But I think um, that, also that know? Christ had to know that man by nature is fallible. So, yeah. but he's, but the, the point is that he keeps them with him and he right. keeps, you know, clamoring around with them. He doesn't just discount them for not believing them. Right. So in that he believes, you know, obviously he's, he's aware that man's doubtful by yeah. nature. So yet he stuck with them. Right. And I think like in that type of verse, Peter, what I don't know is context. When it says he believed, is it just that he believed the thing that he just saw? That he believes that Jesus is God? Or I mean, or they say that I believe Jesus did rise from the dead? Because he hasn't seen him yet. So what did he believe? When it says to believe, what is it we're talking about? Believing because he still don't fully understand. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's not this cut, it's not this really easy black and white they believed and boom, okay? <laughs> you get this idea of people sort of believing but still needing to fully believe. 